Hey, Armin here. Welcome to the NSP Nutrition Show, where we cover training, nutrition, supplementation strategies, and a whole lot more. So stand by. Hey, welcome to the NSP Nutrition Podcast. I'm Frank Mills. And I'm Armin Eckelwarder. And today, Armin and I will be talking about how to build a bigger chest and what oh, yeah. you need to know about carbohydrates. So, Armin, let's get started, man. How, how are things going today? That's going good, Frank, outside of the weather. It could, it's pretty rainy out, and you know, that's kind of a bummer. But I'm feeling good and a little sore from my leg workout. Got my chest workout and my triceps in this morning, so well, I'm ready to go. That's good. Yeah, it's like swampland down here in Tampa Bay. If anybody's curious, that is uh, what we're dealing with. A lot of rain and a lot of swampiness. Uh, gosh, my yard is totally soaked. So, you know, that's what we're dealing with. But welcome to the NSP Nutrition Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. NSP Nutrition has been building better bodies since 1972. And this podcast is all about trying to help you and educate you with fitness. And that's why Armin and I are here doing this show. So let's get started, Armin. How to build a bigger chest, you know. Now, when it comes to training the chest muscles, there must be a lot of approaches and philosophies. What is your approach? Yeah, there are a lot of approaches and philosophies. So, and anytime that you're talking about this topic, you're going to get a lot of feedback from a lot of people. It's yeah, you know, it's just pretty common. Mm-hmm. But um, in the beginning, when I trained chest, I was following, uh, you know, a lot of the mainstream things that I read. But the biggest one I was following was Arnold Schwarzenegger at the time. I had his encyclopedia of a bodybuilder. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, everything he's doing probably going to work for me, which would be logical. And he was really big on doing the bench press and that, and my father was big on doing a bench press and it was all about, you know, how heavy your bench press was and how it develops the chest. Uh, unfortunately with that strategy and technique, which, you know, I worked hard at it. I worked mm-hmm. on getting up to, I was doing 365 pound bench presses for like six, seven reps, but it wasn't doing anything for my chest. It was really helping my triceps, which, you know, they developed pretty nicely and my shoulders, but the chest just wasn't getting it. And so what I had to figure out is, okay, that process, that philosophy of doing that and then following it up with other assistance exercises like flies and and presses and things like that Mm -hmm. wasn't working for me, but I stuck with that for quite a number of years. But then it got to the point where even my brothers, they're like, man, your chest isn't coming up and kind of making fun of me about it. So I was like, Okay, I had to rethink everything at that point. So uh, it was a disappointment with just listening to the basics. Now, I have a brother that if he does bench press, he blows up. His chest activates and he gets a lot out of it. It's just it's just what I've learned is you have different uh, body frames. And mine had a natural tendency for the shoulders to kind of round out. And so it wasn't really getting the effect that that I was hoping it would get. So when you weren't getting the results that you wanted from doing the bench press, what did you do differently? Yeah. So, you know, after struggling for 
quite some time, I, I kept thinking, well, should I try different things? But they were all pressing movements to start with. And then I, uh, I was reading Mike Mentor's book, uh, Heavy Duty, and listening to some mm-hmm. of the things he was doing. And, uh, and then I started to learn about the concept of called uh, pre-exhaust training. Okay. And so what I had to figure out is to activate the chest muscles, what's the best way to do that? And so with pre-exhaust training, you do an isolation exercise. It's like presses and bench press and these things, they're a compound exercise. So there's other muscles involved, you know, the bench press and dumbbell presses, your, you know, your shoulders are involved, your triceps are involved, your chest is involved, and also your back to some degree. So those are all involved. That's a compound exercise. But then when you're doing that, if you isolate, then you just focus on the one particular area. So with pre-exhaust training, the one thing that would isolate the pecs is a fly movement. And so once I started doing fly movements, I was doing them before, right? I was doing them at the end of my workout or halfway through the workout, that kind of thing. So when I did those first, okay, then I went to do the pressing movements. All of a sudden, I started feeling it more in my chest. I also got more activation. Then over time, I started, as I got more advanced with it, I started to superset a fly movement with the pressing movement. And then I really started to make some gains. Plus, after doing this, my strength started coming up pretty good as well. Um, you know, my bench press didn't stay where it needed to be, but I wasn't really concerned about that because I wanted my chest to be developed. Right, I wasn't all concerned right. about how much weight I was using. But anyway, as I did that, then, uh, you know, I was working up to, of course, this is my younger years. I was got up to, uh, up to 150 pound dumbbell presses, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty exciting. Um, but when you start doing pre-exhaust, you got to bring it down some, but then my chest really started to take hold, but I didn't even do that until probably, I would say at this point, probably about 25 years ago, maybe wow. 20. Okay. So, but then when I started doing it and realized what I'm doing was, was not going to be happening, not going to make it work. I started going to that and I started seeing results. Then things got to be a lot more encouraging. Hmm. Okay. So since you weren't doing a bench press, what kind of exercises were you doing that did work on training your chest? I mean, do you have a list of exercises out there that you did specifically that did help? Yeah. And you're going to see a lot of different ways you can train the chest. And personally, mm-hmm. they all have some benefit. And it also depends on what stage you are in your training. You know, right. if you're just getting started, uh, push-ups are going to affect your chest. Okay, but you're going to get strong with that pretty quickly, you know, being a, a bodyweight exercise. Uh, so the benefits of a push-up over time are going to be very minimal. So as you get stronger, again, I'm just trying to be, if you're just getting started, you're a beginner, you're going to phase mm-hmm. that out. But they are beneficial just as a starting point. But then as you're getting more developed, now you want to engage uh, more resistance. So that's when the re- using weights will come into play. So to me, the cornerstone of helping to activate more chest muscle is doing fly movements. And you're going to, there's a lot of negativity about fly movements. It's understandable because if you don't do them properly and correctly, you can, you can get a strain or you can get an injury. Um, But I've never had that problem. So if you proceed with, with good common sense and and good, a good tempo and things we're going to talk about here, 
then it won't be a problem. So fly movements to me are the key and they can be done with dumbbells. Mm-hmm. They can be done with, with a pec deck machine. Uh, you know, or they also call it a fly machine. They can be done with cables. You know, cables are very effective, but the key thing is when you're doing a fly movement, you're going to be stretching the pec muscles in and out. Okay. And then you when you squeeze, you're going to contract them, but you have a neutral grip, a neutral positioning like this, you come mm-hmm. out, you stretch, and then you squeeze. So what happens here is you take the uh, triceps and the shoulders pretty much out of the exercise. So you're getting all chest activation. So that's the key thing to remember with fly movements. And that's why I'm a big fan of those. But you want to be careful with them and you want to use a slow cadence so you have good control. The, the guys that try to do these things a little too fast and trying to do power and this and that, or they come down too fast, that's when we start having problems. And you have these other experts out there, you know, some of them anyways, that throw fly movements under the bus. And But when I look at those guys, they don't have the chest either. So just FYI on that. Now, okay. on top of the fly movements, you do have all kinds of pressing movements, uh, flat, flat dumbbell presses and incline presses, um, Again, dips are a very good format to use for the lower pec, uh, very effective, okay. uh, engage a lot of the pec muscle, uh, cable crossovers, like I mentioned before, uh, and then decline movements. Now, the thing with decline movements, they do help the lower chest as well. The biggest problem I found with those is they can cause injury because of unloading the weight uh, with the angle is not very easy. So if you have a, a spotter or a partner that can help you with that, then I would encourage those. But the thing I found training by myself is uh, you got to be really careful with a decline movement as well, be, just because of the angle. Now, and okay. finally, in closing, the other thing that helps stretch out the pec muscles is a, um, is a pullover movement. But you got to keep your butt high on the bench when you do a pullover. And then you keep your elbows a little wider to kind of help stretch out the upper. It helps stretch the entire pec area, especially the upper pec. So those okay. would be you know, a good list of things that you can do to help with um, the development. You just brought up something interesting. I, I heard you say your upper pack, you have upper and a lower. Did you train any differently for each muscle group? Yeah. So that's another thing I had to kind of figure out. Um, when you're training, there are two parts of the chest. Uh, and so you, you want to have complete development. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I found is, um, when you're when you're training you would think that if you're doing a flat press thing and movements like that um or even machines a machine press that you're going to engage the whole entire chest muscle and due to the angling okay because you're flat you don't get it all so that's where you have to have a slight incline and the thing is when it comes to incline presses there's arguments about you know the angles aren't that big a deal i found though through experience and through my clients i work with just having like a 30 degree to no more than 45 degree angle. And I prefer mm-hmm. the 30, just a slight angle will engage that upper chest, but not engage the shoulders. And these guys that had their bench really high, you're going to engage the shoulder. And, you know, there are debates about you know how much that is. But to me, I just really got solid results. And my clients have got solid results having a 30 to 45 degree angle. So when you use an incline bench, just bring it up to the first notch is a good gauge. And that's just how I do it. Uh, Cause that's typically going to be a 30 to 45 degree angle. So do that. Don't start propping it way up high. 
Mm-hmm. Again, you're going to be more inclined to have a shoulder workout than you are upper chest. Uh, the other thing about training upper chest is you need to prioritize that because if you don't, then you're not going to get the emphasis of it. So it's also called the muscle priority principle, real simple to understand. But you need to, like, whatever you do in the beginning of your training, that's what gets the most emphasis because you're fresh, your nervous system's fresh. So, like, mm-hmm. what I would do is I would do a warm-up and then do incline flies because, again, I'm trying to isolate, get that area really uh, uh, fatigued, and then okay. I'll do incline presses right after that. Then I'll finish up the workout with the flat presses and the, and the dips and movements that get the entire chest. But I prioritize my upper chest every other workout. So one workout is focused on the entire chest. So I'll do the incline presses and stuff like that somewhere in the workout. But then the following week is going to be focused on upper chest because you need that upper chest to really make it round and have a nice sound, a nice not sound, but a nice looking shape to it. Um, mm-hmm. to get the best results. So I, I like to do that. Okay. Okay. While you were talking about that, I was thinking about recovery since you're training both upper and lower like that. Uh, how often should you train your chest for the best recovery? All right. So this is another one. that's kind of a moving target because it's really mm-hmm. based on how you recover and you know, how much volume you're doing. So like for me, I train the chest typically once a week and there's guys that say, well, that's pro science or you need to be training it twice a week. Well, let me just say this. Okay. I've done all the different, all the different options out there twice a week, et cetera. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's twice a week, three times a week or one time a week. If you don't recover, it doesn't matter. So you have to decide, okay, how many exercises am I going to do for my chest? How much time am I going to mm-hmm. spend training it? And then how often do I want to train it? And if you're getting good recovery and you're training it twice a week and you're still getting stronger, mm-hmm. okay, go with that. But what I found is I was my strength was not continuing. So when I cut it back to once a week, my strength was better and my recovery is better. And I, I was really, really motivated to train every time I got ready to train my chest. Now, train your chest – is an easy one to train because you're usually pretty excited about doing it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I wanted to get the results too. So if you don't get the recovery, you're not going to get the results. So it's, it's something, it's a personal choice and you want to experiment with how it's working for you. As you get more advanced though, you're typically going to need more recovery time, which is where I'm at. So I, I typically train my chest once a week. Now, when you train, do you train with other body parts or just do it by itself? All right. That's another good point. You can always train your chest with other body parts, um, but if you're struggling with that area, like at one point I was, so I did the muscle priority training there where I trained it pretty early in the week, and that was my focus, and that's all I trained. And I trained it for, you know, short and brief, short and brief training, but then I got good results. But now, you know, my chest, my chest has come up pretty good, so I do combine it with um, my triceps. But I've done in the past where I do chest and back. It's a push-pull uh, strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. Some guys like to do chest and biceps, but it's a push-pull. Uh, what I found worked best for me is just doing chest by itself or doing chest and then the triceps. You know, your triceps are getting worked when you're training chest. So then I just finish up with, um, you know, just different other movements that complement, you know, with, with what I'm going to hit the, the, tr- the muscles of the tricep with. 
So that's just one way you can do it. I, uh, I would say though, if you're struggling with it, you might want to just do it by itself. So you can get a lot of focus on it. If you're not struggling with it, it's working well for you and you can combine it all kinds of ways. I will say this though, when I did chest triceps or chest shoulders and triceps as a push pull, which is a mm -hmm. common uh, strategy. Um, and then you do back and biceps uh, the, the next day, that kind of thing. I found that by the time I got done with chest and started doing shoulders, my shoulder strength was not very good. So mm -hmm. I decided, well, that's too, too many big muscle groups to do for me. Now, the other reason was, is the amount of movements I was doing and I'm pushing myself with the volume, but the volume had to be within a 45 minute window. And so I just found I wasn't getting the kind of results I wanted. So I took that out of the mix, but some guys, they, they do well with doing chest, shoulders and triceps. Was it for me? So at this point in time, I like doing chest and triceps by itself and then make sure I get everything done within that 45 minute window, but just nonstop uh, hitting it hard. Okay. Um, one thing I was curious about, how do you approach time under tension for your chest? So that's another thing I had to learn when I was, uh, you know, learn how to train. Mm -hmm. And that, that really didn't pick up on this, Frank, until probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. So it just shows you, you know, the amount of things that you got to pay attention to. I used to just be like, go heavy, push the weight, and it goes as hard as you can. But when you're coming down fast and pushing fast and these kind of things, you're really not activating all the muscle fiber. Mm -hmm. So when you start slowing it down, you do challenge the muscles a lot more. So you're focused on the negative, which is lowering the weight. So when I'm coming down, I try to do like a four count coming down. And then I have a stretch. You know, a stretch could be a one count or a two count, just depending okay. on what weight I'm using. Then on the coming back up, it's called a positive, then I'll do like, a, I typically just do a one count on that. I don't go too slow on that. I like to come down, feel the stretch. And then after that, after pausing then drive it up and then squeeze at the top. So okay. some of them I like to do, if you really want to affect the chest and, and activate a lot of muscle tissue on it, I like a four, two, one, six, which is a four second negative coming down, two second stretch, pause, one second up. And, or one count up and then a six count squeezing the muscle. So I like that a lot. Uh, but sometimes you want to go a little, little heavier, then I'll do a four, one, one, two, you know, four count coming down, one count stretch, one count coming up, two, two count, hold and squeeze. And then there's times where you're just using heavy weight. You want to keep some constant tension on the pec muscle. I'll do a four, one, one, zero, which is basically there's no pause at the top. I'm going to come up, you know, contract fairly quickly and then right back down again uh, on a good control though even though it's a one count coming down right. I'm, or a four count coming down i'm in solid control with the weight so i'm using heavier weight when i use that kind of rep cadence a lot of a lot of other ones will work those are the ones i've mm -hmm. worked the best all right i'm sure that the next question that everybody's probably thinking of as you've been talking about this is how many sets and reps per exercise and there's a lot of debate on that one too so okay. you kind of have to play with you know, how much weight you're using and your recovery. Mm -hmm. So typically, even uh, I would say even Vince would agree that anything over 15 sets is, is probably going to be a stretch. So there are times I will do like 20 sets, maybe for a competition, because I'm just hitting a lot of different angles 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to clear out a lot of uh, glucose. But generally for me, I try to stay in the 15, 16 set range, uh, working really heavy, hard and fast, just to really tax that muscle. Because you're trying to push as much blood to the muscle to expand the capillaries, help the muscle expand itself, um, the fascia and that kind of thing. So I like to do, again, probably no more than 16 sets. A lot of times I'll just do 12. I'm going to do 12 hard and heavy. So that could be the way you can look at that is you can have four exercises, three exercises. So if you do four exercises, you do four sets of each, then that's going to be 16 sets. And again, okay. you're trying to get that done within that window. Um, and, you know, again, if you're doing triceps, it's going to be a shorter window. It'd be more like 30 minutes, which is, which is still fine. Um, but my minimum typically would be 12 sets. Uh, again, just going nice and quick. Now I used to do it one time. I used to do the mentor heavy duty training where I did one set to failure and I got some good benefits from that. I got really strong, but the volume I think is still necessary to really, you know, get a, a good solid pump and to expand the muscle fibers. Okay. Now with that on the rep scheme, since we talked about time under tension, when you do a slower time under tension, that affects you know, how many reps you really need to do. Cause there's, you know, there's debates about you need to do 20 reps or 15 reps or eight to 12, this kind of thing. So for me, when I go heavy, and that's what I like to do for my chest and my other uh, muscle groups, I like to stay in that six to 10 rep range. Okay. And the purpose of the six to 10 rep range is because I'm doing a four count down and one count or two count stretch and come up. So each rep is going to take me you know, between you know four, four to five seconds. So your target for time under tension, based on most of the research, is a minimum of 30 seconds. So if you're doing a slow rep scheme, you don't need a lot more reps than that. And then once you get over 30 seconds, you're again, you're just trying to hit that fast twitch white muscle fiber with the mm-hmm. last couple of reps. So you get complete development of the muscle. And I just found that works really well. So I like to stick with six to 10 reps, uh, good form, heavy as possible with a good um, solid rep cadence is what I prefer. Now you brought up a lot of different types of equipment. I'm kind of curious on if you had any preferences or thoughts on maybe different types. Yeah, that's another good point. Uh, over the years, they've really improved some of the equipment lines. So uh, on the machines, especially. So I like using the machines plus the dumbbells and then the barbells. So I'm using them all and then the cables and then obviously the dip racks. But the thing I, I think it makes the most sense is the variety. Because once you get really efficient with one exercise, the central nervous system, is, you know, it recruits so many more motor units because it understands what you're doing. And there's coming a point where you can only lift so much weight before it starts getting, you know, either dangerous or uh, you're not getting quite the, uh, the total movement because of the weight. Uh, and in other words, you develop the muscle to a point where it's, it's as much as it can handle at this point in time. So changing up what you're doing with the different exercise I found has been very beneficial. The other thing is, is when I'm training chest, when you're lifting up the weights, you get in position to press, mm-hmm. you know, like if I'm doing hundred pound dumbbell presses, it gets a little tricky when you're going to dismount. Okay. And also if you're pushing yourself, because when the weight comes down, you got to get rid of it, but you just can't drop the weights you get kicked out of gym for one but you just can't drop the weights it's just not a safe way to do things so that's where these new machines like the nautilus 
machines and the hammer strength machines. They're great because you can load a lot of weight on those mm-hmm. and really move some, really move it and you're safe. So that's the nice thing about it. And, and bench press, um, which I just don't do for my chest. I'll do neck presses. I'll do bench, bench press to the neck, but you got to have a spotter for those kind of things. So if you're looking to move a lot of heavy weight, then that's what I use the machines for. And then with the dumbbells, I do use as heavy as I can. But again, I got to be really careful because when you're unloading heavy 100 pound dumbbells or however much you're using, um, you're, you can strain your, your shoulder pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they all have great benefits. But I just want to kind of highlight that. Do you have any different type of techniques to increase intensity when you're doing any of your workouts for your chest? Because I, I know, uh, gosh, you've been doing this for a long time. Do you have any maybe secret tips or certain things that you do? Yeah. Um, again, like when I first started, it was a lot of the superset strategy. And mm-hmm. one thing I want to say is when you're doing a higher intensity type of training regimen, you got to, again, watch your recovery because you can, it's great for you. And it really is solid for stimulating new muscle fiber, which is my life. Mm-hmm. But it's not something which I learned you can do all the time. You know, I was getting good results doing supersetting, but then I started supersetting every workout and all of a sudden I got weaker. So that just meant my recovery was not good. And then I started thinking about, well, what am I doing differently? You know, am I getting enough food and enough sleep? And, you know, that was all good. It's just I needed more recovery time. So when you had that happen, you that's when you change up, um, you know, week to week, how intense, how your intensity is going to be. So intensity comes in all kinds of forms. It comes from heavy weight. It comes from training fast. It comes from a, a you know different reps, rep tempo um, type strategies. But when you're when you got it working for you, you can't keep doing high intensity all the time unless you're somebody that recovers really well. So typically, what I do is I do different forms of intensity. So one week would be supersets. Next week would may just be straight sets, trying to go as heavy as I can. Uh, another week, I might do tri-sets. A tri-set is where you, have, you pick three different exercises, and you go from one to the other to the other. So a good tri-set example for me would be, you know, after I've warmed up, I'm going to do flies. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to go to maybe incline presses, and then I'm going to go to dips. I'm going to hit all three parts of the chest uh, very accurately and really fatigue it because you have no rest. So when you're doing these types of training techniques, the rest period is zero. You rest after you get done doing the, the tri-set or whatever it is. Another one is also giant sets. And giant sets are incredible. I think they're very effective. The problem with tri-sets and giant sets, though, unfortunately, is the gym has so many people on it that when you're going from one movement to the other, somebody jumps in on you and then you can't do it. So that makes it hard. But if you can do those, they're very, very effective. Highly recommend them. Um, Vince talked about that and his muscle has four sides, which is basically an introduction to giant sets. Uh, you know, I really love doing them. It's just, a, it's hard to do with most of the gyms. If you're in a gym environment, if you're home, I would definitely try to set that up and get that as part of it. Well, one thing you brought up at the beginning of your last statement was about being careful of not being injured, having heavy weight now. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. people, they're going to get injuries. Uh, you know, we've all been injured one time or another. Uh, do you have any suggestions on how you handle them? 
Okay, so yeah, I've had a, I've had somewhat of an injury from time to time. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I hadn't had hardly anything, but most of the injuries I got were from playing basketball or something else uh, off the wall. But um, mm-hmm. I had a few shoulder strains, and so what I would say is, if you're dealing with an injury on certain exercises, really look at the mechanics of the exercise. Make sure you're doing it accurately. Start with lighter weight. Do a slower cadence, slower rep cadence, you know, slow speed. Mm-hmm. And start to focus on feeling the muscle. If there's an area of pain that you notice, then that exercise probably isn't going to be good for you to do at that point in time. You need to change it up and do something else until that clears up. A lot of guys will try to work through the pain, and that is the worst thing you can do. You're going to make that injury go south so much faster, and that's not good. So another thing to keep in mind with a lot of these injuries, you get swelling. And so the swelling typically comes from using heavier weight so you have to back off the weight and do lighter weight. Now, the benefits of doing that, and you won't lose a lot of strength. That's my personal experience and some of my clients, is if you back off the weight and you do more reps and you do them in slow control, you're going to keep the, the uh, swelling down because mm-hmm. heavy weight will cause more swelling. And you're going to get good blood flow to the area. And, and if it, typically, if it's a ligament or, or something like that, or tendon and strain, you're going to allow the muscles to develop all around that area better, and that's going to help protect it in the future and re-strengthen it. So my opinion would be, you know, back off the weight, look at your biomechanics. If it's if it's something that's, if the exercise irritates it, you need to find mm-hmm. a different exercise and focus on that exercise, and then come back to it. But when you come back to it, start light and work and do high rep. Now high rep can be twenty to fifty reps. Because again, you're trying to get blood flow. You're trying to get that the uh, neural, uh, your central nervous system to reconnect with the mechanics mm-hmm. of it. And you don't have to do it. It doesn't take a long period of time. Okay, so but it, it does make a huge difference. It helps. So I recommend that just do the higher reps till it starts feeling better. Then when, you, when it starts feeling better, don't jump right back into it, which I've seen guys right. do. Mm-hmm. You need to start gradually adding more weight again keeping your focus on the movement and actually once you clear it up you should be good to go and it typically won't come back because you've kind of trained yourself not to have that happen again so that's mm-hmm. kind of how i approach that's kind of how i do it with my clients and i just found that um uh, oh one other thing i would say is this um when you're having the injuries you got to watch the momentum of the movement mm-hmm. if, if you're coming down fast and not doing a forward count coming down that momentum, it puts that's what puts the stress stress on the joints, and that's another reason why guys get hurt. They're they're swinging the weight or they're throwing the weight, mm-hmm. not good. As, and then plus, you're not really developing muscle anyways. So don't have momentum. Keep that out of the picture. You just slower rep cadence, like we talked about before. And then one other thing that does become a factor is closed chain, like a when a closed chain just means uh, like a barbell press and things that have fixed range of motions that will not allow you to adjust your, your joints. That's why dumbbells are, are pretty effective and cables can be good for that um, because you can adjust where the injury is to kind of work around the, um, the area to help strengthen it. So mm-hmm. if you're doing closed chain movements, you want to do those really light or just take them out of the whole entire picture and focus on the other movements that you, you can have more flexibility with. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of information and you brought up a lot of good points. Now, is, is there anything else that you can think of that would be important in regards to training your chest? Again, 
you need to track what you're doing. That's how you learn. That's what I had to do. And I would like, mm-hmm. make notes on what exercise I did, how much weight I use, how many reps I got, you know, my rest intervals. So then you can kind of find some things where, you know, if you're getting, if you start using heavier weight, you start noticing that because you're tracking it, that gives right. you good feedback. So I like to do that. So tracking is important. I like to, uh, you know, take, and you can take measurements, take your chest measurement where it's at, mm-hmm. just make sure you measure the same area and see if it's improving. Uh, and it will. Then the other thing would be, you know, before taking photos, like every four to six weeks to see, you know, how it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's also really encouraging. So it, it just depends on what you feel will work for you. But I think that's going to help you. It's going to give you the feedback you need. And then when you start seeing the results, you stay pretty motivated and it's, it's a great thing. Okay. Any other resources out there that can maybe help you with, gosh, this process and, and actually doing your chest training? Yeah. So you can like NSP has, a, they have a YouTube channel, which I have a lot mm-hmm. of different exercises I've done on there. So you can look at those and see if there's oh, some okay. takeaways from that. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is, it's just, you, you want to find a good knowledgeable coach trainer to kind of look at what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. either you video it and you send it to the trainer or you have the trainer there and you have them watch it. Um, so because once you get things working for you, the benefits and the, how it works is really good. It's just that if you, if you don't know and you're, you're struggling, then you're not gonna have a good time with it and you won't get the results you're really after. Man, Armin, a lot of great information, how to build a bigger chest, uh, a very good segment, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information, uh, definitely mind boggling on how much information there is, but boy, you definitely know what you're talking about. So, uh, a lot of actually fantastic, there. man. Thanks. Sure. So, uh, that being said, I think Armin and I might need to take a break. Uh, You're going to hear a word from NSP Nutrition. Go on to nspnutrition.com and check out this cool gear. Uh, I have on my Vince's gym shirt. Uh, Gosh, head over there and check out NSP Nutrition. Grab some supplements. And uh, Armin and I, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. NSP Nutrition was founded by Vince Gironda during bodybuilding's golden era. Vince wanted to supply his members with unique and nationally sourced supplements that would help accelerate their progress. NSP Nutrition stocks some of the same products it did when it first began in 1972. And you can discover our entire range of supplements and products at nspnutrition.com. Just use the code NSPSHOW at the checkout and save 10% on your first order. And welcome back to the NSP Nutrition Podcast. I'm Frank. Frank Mills. I'm Frank Mills. Yes, I am. And I'm here with my co-host, Armin Eckelbarger. He's the guy with all the knowledge. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, We're going to get right into our next segment. And uh, it's our nutrition segment. We're going to talk about what you need to know about carbohydrates. Now, there's a lot of speculation and controversy and all kinds of good stuff out there about carbs. And uh, hopefully, Armin can steer you through the shark infested waters with this stuff. But uh, Armin, tell us a little bit about what we need to know about carbs. All right. We did touch on this a little bit on the last show, but um, your carbohydrates are something that you do, do need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way they work, they're, 
as far as a measurement system, if you're using a calorie counting strategy, um, I'm not a big fan of those, but if you are, there are four kilocalories per gram. Uh, so, the, you know, they're not a lot of calories uh, compared mm -hmm. to fats. So that's the thing that people look at. Um, but what they're utilized for and how they're absorbed is if you, if your muscles are depleted and your liver is depleted of glycogen, then the carbohydrates will convert and go and reload the muscles and the liver of the glycogen. Um, fortunately, though, if they're already full, which is our biggest problem we have in society, in my opinion, mm -hmm. then they have no place to go except to the fat storage system. And that's going to typically start with the belly fat being first because that's where there's a lot of fat cells anyways. So that's why you're seeing this you know, epidemic of just a lot of overweight people. And it's not so much about the fat they're eating, it's, it's the carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And we're going to touch on some of the reasonings why the carbohydrates create fat. But that's just the main thing that you want to understand about a carbohydrate, the benefits of it, and then what it also has. So when you were talking about those calculations, why do carbs cause body fat? I think that's something that uh, a lot of people just, uh, you know, I don't think they pay attention to. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the reality of it is, is even though carbohydrates are four kilocalories and fat, which is nine kilocalories, a lot of people seem to think, well, fat's the problem because that's what I have too much of. But you need to dig a little deeper um, because our ancestors, they weren't eating the carbohydrates you eat today. They weren't even available. So you got to then they did really well comparative with what they did. Um, so that's why you want to keep in mind how carbohydrates work. The mm. thing is, is when people, uh, when they, they're doing the carbohydrates, they don't understand insulin. And insulin is the problem because insulin is a fat storage hormone and insulin comes up when you eat sugar and carbohydrates and every gram of carbohydrate not absorbed into the muscles will convert to sugar, which converts to fat. So when you have too many carbohydrates and your insulin has come up because your insulin needs to process those carbohydrates, when it does it, it needs to put them somewhere. Again, if your muscles are full, uh, insulin is going to put them right to the fat cell. The other thing that people don't realize is, okay, when they're meeting carbs throughout the day, again, if you're counting calories, it's not really an issue, right? But if you're eating carbs throughout the day, insulin has to stay up to process the carbs. So when insulin stays up to process the carbs, you're not going to burn any fat. That ain't happen. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be, you burn quick energy of sugar and carbohydrates. So now because you're doing this, you have these cravings that pop up to keep your energy level up and your body's saying, hey, we need more carbohydrates to keep our energy up. So then you find yourself needing to snack or have more carbohydrates to keep your energy up. And it's a real natural common reflex that it's going to happen with people. So that's why you got to understand how carbohydrates work. And if you're eating those throughout the day, your insulin is going to stay elevated throughout the day. And what happens over time is you're going to become insulin resistant and when you become insulin resistant, now we become pre-diabetic. Now we have other issues because your body cannot keep up with processing all those carbohydrates. And that seems to be a focus, gosh, everywhere right now, whether it's magazines, yeah. books, TV commercials, everybody's talking about carbs. But a lot of the yeah. pro bodybuilders talk about carbs and how to minimize their fat. 
so they want to look very lean, but um, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole different subject, right? Well, I, it's an argument that can be made, uh, you know, justifiably so that um, mm-hmm. you know they're focused on having very little fat. So here's how things work, though: you can either eat a high carbohydrate, low fat diet, and mm-hmm. get and get the, get the same result, or you can eat a low carb, higher fat diet. So, you know, proteins are proteins. Okay. So you can do either one and have success. So that's, let's just get that out on the table. So they can all both work. The okay. problem you have is when you're eating carbohydrates as your main energy source, you're going to need them a lot more often because that's your main source of fuel. Okay. And so you're not using fat as much because your insulin is processing your carbohydrates. So again, Insulin is another thing that's going to slowly wear out by doing a lot of carbohydrate intake. Another thing that happens with high carbohydrate intake is it increases inflammation, which starts causing other problems. Inflammation is what causes health problems and, and causes aging in the first place. It's a natural response. So that's not a good condition to be in either. So when, you're, okay. when you look at these bodybuilders that are pros and that's what their, you know, their focus is, a lot of them also have bloated bellies. Now, some of it can be right. from the drug use they're using, but you know, some of these guys, what they're doing, they're doing insulin loading. And what insulin loading means is they take insulin, which is very dangerous. They take that and then they eat and they okay. eat a lot of food. And so that insulin, when they're doing it that way, pushes the nutrients into the cells uh, very rapidly. So that's how they can get some size, but it also causes bloating as well because of the amount of food they're eating. That's why they have these big bellies, distended bellies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, that's my take on it. Of course, there could be other arguments for, you know, drug use and stuff like that. But you don't need to do that, bottom line. And Vince never had to do that. Uh, I didn't do that. And the other thing I'll tell you is if you're dieting down for a show mm-hmm. and you're doing the high carbohydrate, it's a real struggle because you gotta you got to burn off those carbohydrates. You're trying to figure out how many you need and if you don't get enough of them, you can end up burning muscle tissue. That's why, uh, to me, it's not a preferred way of doing things. Now, I'm not taking a bunch of drugs or anything either, which would be a different story. But you don't you don't need to do cardio either. That's what a lot of these right. bodybuilders do. They eat so many carbohydrates that they got to go do cardio to burn them off. So that's kind of a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But they'd rather eat more than figure out, I'll just burn off the extra that I don't need and do that. I'm not about that. I'm more efficient. I want to do things that, you know, are going to make my day easier. Mm -hmm. And so, and plus eating more food is not necessarily the best thing you could be doing for your health. Right. Right. You know, the one thing I was kind of curious as you were talking about the carbs and eating them, does it matter what time you eat carbs? If it's morning, afternoon, evening, it matters if you're trying to burn body fat. Now, if you're a, if you're an athlete, and a competitive athlete, and you got a lot, of, you know, a lot of energy demands. Then carbs and fats are going to be different, but typically right. you're leaner. So if you're a lean person, probably not a big deal. Okay, you can have some carbs, and you have your fats and stuff, and you'll be fine. Now, if you're trying to stay lean, keep your six pack, or keep the, get rid of that belly, then it's not good to have your carbs throughout the day, simply for the fact that you got insulin elevated, and you're not going to burn any fat. Here's what, here's what happens, okay? When mm-hmm. you go to bed at night, your body kicks in its hormones. If everything's working right, it kicks in the hormones. And these hormones, they need fats to rebuild cells. So they're out there looking for cholesterol to help do this. And they're looking for these fats to do what they need to do. 
that process works all night. When you wake up the next morning, it's still working. It didn't shut down. Okay, so you're going to continue to burn fat as your energy system. Now, once you have five grams or more of carbohydrates in the morning or mid-afternoon or whatever, typically what's going to happen, your insulin is going to come up to process those carbohydrates, and then it's going to be hanging around. But when it comes up to process them, you just shut off your fat burning process. So if you want to keep your fat burning process going, you got to minimize your carbohydrate intake through the day. So for me, I like to have my carbohydrates in the evening. So I get good fat burning throughout the day. When I reload my muscles and liver with the carbohydrates, I do it in the evening. And I like to do it with um, uh, high glycemic carbs so that my insulin comes up and then drops right back down. Because then when I go to bed, my fat burning process is going to kick back in again. The other thing is is when you do the high glycemic carbs in the evening, you know, like, you know, five, six, seven, whatever, you're going to get a good serotonin kick in, which makes you feel good. And it also Mm -hmm. makes you drowsy. So you're more inclined to sleep better. You'll find yourself getting better sleep by doing it that way as well. I've, I've done this a lot of different ways and I'm kind of sold on how this works. So you get the serotonin boost and serotonin converts to melatonin. That's a good win. So now you're going to get drowsy. You get sleepy. Boom. Get a good night's sleep. Then you're going to be burning some fat. Get up. Keep burning fat. And then start to process all over again. You know, it's interesting. I was sitting here um, actually thinking if you had a target for the carbs that you would intake on a daily basis. You know, a lot of people calorie count. Uh, do you carb yeah. count? Well, that's what I prefer to do because I think it's easier to manage. And so like with people I work with, if I'm going to have some carbs, I keep it low. Mm -hmm. Um, So typically what I focus on is 30 grams of net carbs. And what net carbs is, is your total amount of carbohydrates you take in minus fiber. Because fiber will eliminate the uh, the carb. So that's another thing. A good amount of fiber in your diet will help that process. Okay. uh, That's what you want to know. So I'm looking at folks on around 30 grams of net carbs or less. Again, it's going to vary some, so nothing's ever perfect, but that's what you try to target. Right. Um, and I try to have that per day, but then do the carb loadings in the evening if I need it, um, you know, just to make sure I'm replenished everything. I got good energy. Okay. When it comes to carbs, I'm sure you have a thought process of ones you prefer over others. Well, then there's a lot of debates on this, too. So mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just giving you my viewpoints and, and my rationale on it. I like the okay. high glycemic carbs, which are, quote unquote, the bad carbs, because they have an insulin spike. And some of the medical people don't think that's a good thing. But if you're training and you're doing the kind of things that I'm doing, it's not a bad thing because you want right. you want the insulin to spike, drop back down and it's, and it stays low. Keeping insulin low like that helps your insulin sensitivity. It helps the absorption of your nutrients better because mm-hmm. it's going to be more ready to process everything. When you have insulin staying elevated by using the slower burning carbohydrates, especially if you're eating a lot of them, mm-hmm. insulin is going to be hanging around all the time. So that's where you start losing that sensitivity because it, it, it's overwhelming the receptor sites of the cells. So by keeping your insulin low and then spiking it, you're gonna it's gonna allow to push the nutrients into the cell much more effectively because it comes up really high and then it starts to do its, it does its work and then when it's done it drops right back down. So I don't think it's a negative. Mm-hmm. There, there's different arguments about that, 
But for me, I think it, it's it's a positive. I think it's more efficient, and I think it helps reduce the possibility of you know, being pre-diabetic and things like that from lack of uh, insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember this guy that I actually used to work with. Uh, he was like anti-carb. He wouldn't intake any carbs unless he absolutely had to, or it was his cheat day or whatever. But you know, if 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 you ate zero carbs, would that work? Okay, well that's a good point because you have a lot of people that are doing other diets that, that do that. Mm-hmm. And you can get some benefits by having zero carbs, but what happens is long-term is you affect your gut microbiome because you're not getting nutrients from the carbohydrates that you need to get. And, and then on top of that, you're going to flatline over a period of time because you're not mm-hmm. replenishing the muscles in the liver the way they need to be replenished. So that's why I'm a big fan of what's called carb cycling. Okay. Or if you're going to do zero carb, you do it for a short period of time. But even when you do zero carb, you still need to have a, a carb reload day. So I would, at the bare minimum, I would reload every three or four days, have a carb reload meal. Okay. Just where you have a good amount of carbohydrates to replenish everything and just to help your system mm-hmm. again and use quality carbohydrates. Okay. I mean, you don't, you don't want to be getting into processed food, things like that. You want to have, Good quality vegetables, so good quality carbohydrates to me are corn, peas, um, you know, all your different vegetables you have to pick from mm-hmm. uh, to, to work off of that. And then if you want other, you know, like if you want high glycemic carbohydrates, then a white potato, sticky okay. white rice, um, you know, watermelon, uh, some of the fruits is a good time to use these to, to, to give you a good, get some minerals from it too. All the okay. melons are really good. So just kind of give you some ideas of different ways you can do that. All right. So what about before your workout? I mean, I, I see a lot of people, uh, energy drinks that have sugar, you know, or they'll have a load of carbs before they go to work out. Is this something that you should do? Does it really give you extra energy? Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely give you energy. Uh, there's no, there's no debate on that. And I've mm-hmm. done it different ways as well. Okay. But after researching how your body works and stuff, I'm a bigger fan. And again, this is just me. And I'm sure there's some arguments otherwise, but mm-hmm. I don't want any sugar or carbohydrates before I train. Mm-hmm. So people will be like, well, what's the problem with you need energy? I said, well, I agree hundred percent, which I've done it before. What I found is you get a better hormone response because your hormones are secreted when you're training. And they, that's when they, they kick in the hormones secrete, when you're training, mm-hmm. uh, resistance training, especially, and then okay. when you sleep. Okay. So I don't want, I don't want competition with the hormones when they secrete on the receptor sites of the cells. So that's one thing. So if you have some carbohydrates and insulin has to come up to process that, mm-hmm. well, you can have insulin always insulin trying to process your carbohydrates and your sugars. So that also creates competition for the receptor sites on what's going to get done. So these are different things that I've read and, you know, people can argue whether they're accurate or not accurate or whatever. <laughs> I just found I've gotten a much better response right. by doing it that way. So I don't want to issue or anything, especially two hours before I train. Right. All right. So I did bring up calories and I know a lot of people out there are calorie counters. Um, yeah, yeah. How, how do calories relate to all of this? Okay, so it's a good, fair question. And uh, I've had to kind of realize this as well. Mm-hmm. That I used to count calories and thought that that was you know, part of the equation. It is part of the equation. Don't get me wrong. 
it's it's not bad to count the calories, but understand this: a calorie is not a calorie. Yeah, let's put it this way: a thousand calories from a bag of chips, a thousand <laughs> calories from meat and vegetables. That's two different ball games. Right. They don't right. break down the same way. They both they they have different purposes. So mm-hmm. a calorie is not a calorie as far as I'm concerned. And there's I think there's plenty of research that backs that up. So when you talk about you know burning fat and calorie restriction, that's what you need to understand. Just because you you you're in a calorie deficit, which is what they promote doesn't mean you're burning a hundred percent body fat, right? It it does not work that way. You're going to burn carbohydrates and sugars first, especially if your insulin's elevated because that's Mm -hmm. your energy. You're not going to burn any fat until you get all that insulin back down out of your system. So I understand that. And then the other problem is, is you're going to end up burning muscle tissue because once you run out of the quick energy of the carbohydrates and sugars that you've been eating, the body doesn't jump to fat right away. It looks for something else it can get to just as quickly, and that's called glucose, which it gets from your muscle tissue. And we mentioned it before in another show. This process is called neoglucogenesis. So just because you're in a calorie, um, uh, you're, you're restricting your calories, doesn't mean you're burning body fat. And the same thing, you know, we talked about cardio too. So now, with that being said, if you're in a calorie deficit, that's still, you're going to burn some, you're going to burn some body fat. Mm-hmm. So I prefer to be in a calorie deficit by burning fat and not, you know, being worried about the, you know, because I'm eating to burn fat all day. Right. So when I'm in a calorie right. deficit with that, I see good fat loss. So that's my, my beef or my argument with that being said on counting calories. <laughs> okay. So a lot of information. Um, any final thoughts or maybe any, additional information that you'd like to maybe conclude the segment with? Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to carbohydrates, you know, my viewpoint is use them to your advantage, but understand mm-hmm. how they work because that's the most important thing. And so when you use them to your advantage, it's going to help your nutrition. It's going to improve your training because it's going to give you the energy you need. But at the same time, you're not going to get the spillover or you're going to reduce the amount of spillover, which is going to be fat storage. Okay. So if you use carbohydrates effectively and manage them, you're going to have less belly fat you have to deal with and figure out how you're going to get rid of it. Because it's a, it's a huge problem mm-hmm. in society at this point. So my, that's my viewpoint is use them smart, get the benefits from it, and then just keep improving your process as you're doing it. So when it comes to resources to try to help folks out there, um, yeah, can you offer some good nutrition resources for them? Yeah, I really, I really recommend the uh, Maximum Definition Diet through Vince Carano. Okay. Uh, the Wild Physique. There's f- several diets in there, and and it, it rotates different uh, viewpoints. And then the Pro Series of Nutritional Bodybuilding, which was written a long time ago. In reality, Vince was a way ahead of his time when it came to nutrition and training, for that matter. But he was really on target because he had some good resources for nutrition that he mm-hmm. worked with and. And he tried them out and they worked well. And if you look at pictures of the guy and he's, you know, in his fifties and, and, and I mean, look phenomenal for a guy his age yeah. at that point in time. So they're good resources. Well, the one thing I want to make sure we touch on since this is the NSP nutrition podcast. Uh, what about supplementation? Any specific supplements out there that may help you too? 
Okay, so for me, I, what I use from NSP, I like to do the, uh, the fat burner. Um, I like, you know, I do take the iodine because I want mm-hmm. my thyroid to function well. That helps burning fat. Um, and so, and then the, the different protein powders that they have, I think are top notch because I've tried a lot of protein powders. And that's when they really attracted me to the company. You know, I haven't been with NSP that long, but what attracted to me was that the products they made and they're, they're quality. Uh, the beef liver capsules for good energy and stamina and, and, and good oxygenation of the blood. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. And I don't have to eat liver, which makes it kind of handy, but right. also I get protein <laughs> from it. So, right. you know, there's, those are just you know great products to have. And then they have, you know, they got vitamin D, which everybody should be taking that unless you're getting a lot of sunlight because that helps boost the immune system. It helps your hormones. Absolutely. And the best part is all natural. Um, that was the thing that attracted me. Right. I mean, I, I just, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, appreciate it, Armin, a lot of great information. Uh, and thanks again for another fantastic show, man. Terrific. Well, hope it helps people. Hope you got some takeaways and let us know though, in the comment section of other things you guys would, or guys and gals would like to hear about, because we're, you know, we're here to help answer questions as best we can. And you know, we don't know everything, but we're, we, we got some good ideas on a lot of stuff. So uh, just let us know and we'll see what we can deliver. Don't forget to check out nspnutrition.com, not just to get your supplements, but check out the 21 day challenge. Now you can burn yeah. fat, build muscle, get in the best shape of your life. And guess what? It's 100% free. Just go to nspnutrition.com, scroll to the bottom of the page. And it's a a square ad. You can click on it right there and get the information that you need to enter that if you're interested. That's it for the show today. Uh, Thank you for joining us here at the NSP Nutrition Podcast. And Armin and I will be back next week with a new episode. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for checking out the NSP show. Go to nspnutrition.com where you can find a whole heap of resources to help you achieve stunning definition and eye-popping levels of muscularity. Don't forget you can save 10% on your first order by using the code NSP show at the checkout. Catch you next time.